0: Hello, believers, non-believers, and everyone in between. You're listening to Stories with Sapphire. I am Sapphire Sandalo. Now get cozy and open your mind because it's story time. Welcome back to Stories with Sapphire. As you know, I've been on hiatus for a while and wasn't planning on releasing any new episodes until November. But it just didn't feel right not to release anything during October, aka the best month of the year. This will be a short and brief season, but I hope you will enjoy it. On July twenty fifth, 2020, my grandfather passed away. He had been battling end-stage renal disease and dementia for the past couple of years, and then COVID-19. This is the grandfather that I mentioned in the first episode of this podcast. His supernatural stories inspired everything I do today, and introduced me to the magical worlds of Filipino folklore and the paranormal. And it's his stories, and the many stories of those I've spoken with over the years that bring me peace during this time of loss. So I'd like to begin Season 3 with sharing the enlightening experiences of Nita, a yoga therapist, psychiatrist, and psychic. As a practical woman of science and a highly intuitive medium, she has an incredibly unique worldview and perspective on death which I find comfort in, and hope you will too.
1: My name is Nida Nicasio Gankaiko. I am from Orange, California, originally from the Philippines, San Juan.
0: Nita's relationship with the paranormal began at a very
1: young age. I was raised by the extended family. My grandparents lived with us. My mother, my father. My mother was orphaned at 13. And so she grew up in this ancestral home. In Metro Manila, and we would go there on weekends and in the holidays. We would stay there. It's very, very old. They have a lot of uh, Chinese jars, old Ming Dynasty jars, and it's um, a little bit spooky. There were uh, paintings of our ancestors, but one painting stood out. It was a painting of my grandfather by Solo, who's a national artist, sitting on a chair. And my mother and aunt used to tell us that. They would fall asleep in the living room, and they would end up in the bedroom, but they remembered the person in the painting coming down and carrying them to the bedroom. So from that time on, I was fascinated by that house. As she got older,
0: she discovered that she had a special ability.
1: When Before high school, I remember that my father used to work apart from the family, so he would be coming in on weekends only. Fridays, we would anticipate his coming. We have a lot of fruit trees in the backyard. And there was one weekend, uh, a guava tree, the strongest branch snapped. And for some reason, after that snapped, I could tell something bad had happened. And I told my mother, dad, dad, something happened to dad. And he was in a major car accident and wasn't able to work for five years after that. He had a crushing injury to his right side and had to do extensive surgery and reconstruction and rehab, so that was the first and then after that, um, I could tell if something was happening and it 's hard to explain it because you just you just know i could I could be looking at one of the objects in the house, and I would tell my mom, you know, auntie, like this, this is happening to auntie. It's something that I, I was very unfamiliar with because I was young. But as I went into high school, we had a neighbor who was a a nun who left the convent and had psychic powers. And she took me aside and said, I think you have a gift, and I'm going to teach you how to read. Read People read cards, read hands. But she would just come to the house. She brought a deck of cards, and she would just tell me what they signified. But she gave me positions of cards, what the other person is going to do, and for me to just do a reading without really coaching me what to do. And somehow it was very easy. It's like second nature, looking at them and then reading. But what happened was my mother was bragging to friends that, you know, she can read, but she's afraid to do it the the nun who taught taught me how to do this told me if you have the gift friday is a very good day for you know being able to read people and and read their cards if you want to you could read into the first four months or you could read into the their lives see if you can do it but things change every 5 to 10 years you know if i read your hand read your cards things will change over 5 to 10 years So what did I do? I looked at my grandparents' old deck of cards and I started to just do that out of fun to ask my own questions and see if if they would be answered. And they were, but they were scary because they were answered so um, correctly.
0: After our recording session, Nita read my hands and my cards. This wasn't the first time I've ever had a reading like this, but it was the first time that I truly felt like she was the real deal. Because while we were talking, I'd be listening and prepping questions to ask in my head. And she would answer them before I had a chance to ask them. It was wild and amazing. But having such a powerful gift can also be a burden.
1: My mother and I were very close and she bragged. And we had, I don't know if you're familiar with basketball teams in the Philippines. It's like the NBA here, but it's called the Philippine Basketball Association. And most of them lived in our neighborhood. So they would come. On a Friday, one of them would start to come and tell me to predict how the game was going to go. And I would tell them. Then they would give something to us, gifts. And no, I'm not allowed to receive anything. And I'm not allowed to receive payments. And it's exhausting after a while. I would never do it for gambling. Am I going to win this or that? No, 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 no. But most of the predictions, especially about athletic events, all of them were accurate college, I decided to leave the house. I was pretty rebellious. I did not want anything to do with that anymore. Because it was like, my mother was like, oh, my daughter has special powers. You do this, do that. And, and I did not. And I said, I'm just going to stay away after, especially after what happened to my father, because it was scary. So I left that. But in college, my friends and I did that. And we were asking, they were asking specific questions, like initials of the person they were going to marry. And my husband then... My husband then was, was just a friend. I had other, other boyfriends. And so when the initials came, I didn't even know it was going to be him, but he was when I married, and that was 15 years before I married him.
0: What started out as low-stakes predictions turned into much more serious
1: ones as Nita grew older. That became scary, and it gets scarier and scarier because as I got older, um, I migrated to the U.S. I was 25 then. And I was the first in my family to leave. I just graduated from medical school. And my first year in California, I did not have a job. I was applying for the tests. And that night, just something occurred to me. And my my mother is very healthy. She's a, she's a jogger. She exercises very well, very healthy. And I said, I need to go home tomorrow to the Philippines. And my uncle said, what's the matter? I said... Something's happening to my mother. And we got the phone call that same day that my mother was in coma and that she had elective surgery for minor bleeding, and the anesthesiologist made a mistake. So I went to the Philippines. She survived, but she was in vegetative state. I went back to Minnesota. Minnesota to practice, and I was on call one morning, 10 o'clock, and I heard on the overhead, you know, Dr. Nicasio being called in the front desk. So I always get called because I was working in neuro-ICU. But I knew my mother had passed. But that has, that has always been going on. Even in this past year, my father passed away in May. He was chronically ill for five months, and he decided he didn't want to to do any more heroic measures. He just wanted to die quietly. And I still decided to go to Spain and Portugal. In spite of him being sick, he told me, just go. We were there, and my sister said, he's going to die. You have to come back. I knew he was not going to die yet. It was just something that I knew it was not. And I talked to my father, and he said, no, you can come back when you're done with your trip. Continue your trip, enjoy your trip, and that and and we did and i came back if you've read the book tibetan way of living and dying i followed that i read the book i prayed with my father i asked for specific things to happen within the month that i came back came back april he died may 23 so all the people that he wanted to come from the philippines from new york everyone they came at different times I don't know how that happened. My sister and I were were really fascinated by it, that we were able to communicate. They were able to come. They were able to say all their goodbyes. My father was able to talk to each one of them. And I knew that I had to guide my father to the other world. So this last week was like a mystical experience where he was just seeing people that were gone before him, which is an experience a lot of dying people have. If you work as a in hospice, or you've seen people before their death, on their deathbed, they see their deceased mother or father. My father saw more extensive things, and he talked to me about them, and I, I wrote them all down, and I, I, um, I knew where he was in his path to dying. It's like being an escort, a doula, we call it a doula for death. I knew he wanted me there before he passed, I knew the exact time. I went to the room, they were all outside, and he was in our arms, and he gave his last breath and died. I've escorted several people to their death, a neighbor who was dying, because people fear death so much. They would call me and I would go, and I would always want to hold the person dying in my arms so that the last thing they remember is something warm and comforting. And somebody listening to them, asking them what they want. And they always want, can I have my grandson here? I just have to say something and then they go. And the last breath is like this. <sighs> you actually hear and feel the spirit come out and, and they become so heavy. And they fall and then they have that peaceful expression on their face. You've
0: probably heard that hauntings are usually the result of spirits who have unfinished business. This is why homicides or tragic accidents are likely to result in hauntings. The spirit did not have a chance to get ready for death. But if you know that death is coming, you can prepare for it. And Nita acts as a comforting presence to make that transition as smooth as possible. Because of what she's witnessed, she believes that when we die, our souls do not simply cease to exist— they move into another dimension.
1: An example, my mother and I, I told you, were very close, and we are very pragmatic people. So her parents died very young. They were in their 40s. So she somehow thought she was going to die early, and we had a pact that whoever dies ahead of us, one of the two of us, that we would make it known to the other one that there is another world. And I didn't think anything of it. She died. And I was so depressed. One night, I saw her. It's a dream. Maybe it was a dream, but I felt her hand, and I felt her hand on my hand. And she was wearing her favorite polka dot dress that she wears every New Year's to tell me that we're going to live forever or something, you know. Um, so she was holding my hand, and we were flying. It's hard. It's almost like you are up in a helicopter. It's not a plane. And we were horizontal and just flying with our hair and our our clothes, my pajamas and her polka dot duster behind her. And I have never been to Russia. I didn't know what I was seeing because they looked like, you know, the turrets and the towers that were different. And what was familiar was I saw Chinese people wearing, you know, the traditional hat planting rice. But those were the two very distinct places. And we probably did that. I don't know if it was the whole night because I was exhausted. She brought me back, and then she squeezed my hand, and she kissed me, and she says, you know, I'm just here. All you need to do is talk to me. I'm just here. I'll never, you know, we never go away. We're just around. You just don't see us. And after that, I was very relieved.
0: Ever since that visit, Nita has felt her mother's presence often. She would smell the chocolate cake she used to bake. She would hear knocking on the door, usually on Christmas or other holidays. Nita and her family would invite their deceased relatives to come inside and have a seat as though they were physically there because they are.
1: The, the, the spirits in our family, I told you there's three things. When a person dies, and if you have a strong ESP, they usually leave some imprint. And the imprint can be electric, can be wind. Can be heat. There's some type of energy that that person's, because you were all made of cells. Physics explains a lot of things. We were all attuned to that in my family. So when my father in law passed away, he is a very powerful man, a lawyer who is charismatic and um, a Supreme Court justice. So when he passed away, we were here, he was in the Philippines. And I tell you, all of our electric circuits broke. Ours, my brother in law, who is in the Philippines, my sister, who is a sister in law who's on Corona, the washer and dryer, the refrigerators, food rotted because all of that electric energy. And as dead people, they really, I don't know, they're new at this. They haven't mastered also how they're able to communicate. With my uncle, it was wind. And if we would be talking in the room the first especially the first nine days, I believe in that. The first nine days before they really are able to discern as spirits that they're no longer on earth, then our doors would open and shut. The wind would just whip through. And then with some spirits, it's all a very, very, very peaceful spirit. And all you would smell is not the dead flowers, but roses. Strong scent of roses and the people at peace in our family my my mother my mother in law my father because he was so prepared that's all that people smelled but it's a very strong fresh roses it's not a scary scent but it's a very peaceful scent
0: Before I became a podcaster and paranormal investigator, I used to be a full-time animator and character designer, and podcasts kept me company while I drew, especially paranormal podcasts. One of my favorites was Jim Harold's Campfire. I would actually be shocked if you hadn't heard of it because it's one of the OGs. In fact, it recently celebrated its 13th anniversary. But if you haven't heard of it, it's a call-in show where ordinary people share their extraordinary stories with Jim every week. The story topics range from ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and stories that can't be categorized. You're listening to my show right now, so I know that you love non-fictional paranormal stories—stories stories involving the serial killer Ted Bundy or a man who owned a haunted hotel—and also heartwarming stories of deceased loved ones coming back to say hello. Jim Harold's Campfire was a huge inspiration for me, so do me a personal favor and tune in to Jim Harold's Campfire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to Stories with Sapphire. Back when Nita was a student at the University of the Philippines, she was recruited for the Theosophical Society, a group that investigated these types of energies
1: and experiences. And you go to this, it's an old house in Quezon City, and there were, I think, six of us recruited, all of us females, and they would measure our hands, the energy that would emanate from your hands, and they had tons and tons of books. You would read affirmations. They talked about colors. And I thought, this is all booga booga. Uh, No, I, I, I was very skeptical. But at the same time, my cousin was one of the founding members. And he was about 20 years older than me. And he was very well known in all of Southeast Asia as a psychic healer. But he is a college graduate. He's a professor in one of the good colleges there. But he had psychic abilities to heal.
0: This form of psychic healing was a common practice in Nita's family.
1: My mother would never take us to a doctor whenever we were sick. Her grandfather was an herbalist, so they would make poultices for the fever to put on our heads. And they would do prayers. They would do certain prayers that are unintelligible, and they would put like a a match between our toes and press that, or they would use crystals, alum. I don't know if you know, it's a white crystal. And they would pray and they would melt it and they would see the person who's trying to... How do you say that? There is a term for it. It's not cool. Yeah, it's like kulam or balis in the Philippines. Kulam or balis.
0: Kulam is a type of hex in the Philippines. There's a belief that if someone who is hungry looks you in the eye that hunger will transfer to you, and you will fall ill within the next 24 hours. I had never heard of this belief before, but it definitely explains why Filipinos are always, constantly, nonstop offering each other food.
1: So my mother would always tell me don't look people in the eye, especially around noon when they're hungry. It's just all those those tales that they say. But my youngest sister would not heal always got sick in the evening she would cry a lot and she did not get better until we had one of those people come to the house and pray and and melt that crystal and they were able to see that it was two women it melted and it would show the face and all that and and my mother then would um would pray and know specifically who the people are that might be doing that my sister to this day I don't know if if that's real or not but not going to doctors and me being a doctors <laughs> I I did psychiatry specifically because I believe that the the soma psyche and spirit are all interlinked and I think you know the healing is really healing of a person is the relationship and part of it is something that cannot be measured with medications and other things I always look at my patient's whole persona, and I can almost know if a person is a true psychopath versus a um, a wounded person. And the way you treat that person is very different. There's some you could medicate, some you could not. So I feel that I have used my my gift very well. I've worked with suicidal patients, but I've worked with people in the intensive care who you see as a psychiatrist after a near-death experience. So in my own mind, I said, wow, this is such an opportunity for me to see what happens to people. So um, very sad to die in America because you would be called to a room and I would look at this person and feel their pulses and there's nothing. And I would close their eyes, wash them and say a prayer for them. And then you could tell by the expression on the faces of these people if they died in peace or they died without anybody and really lonely because it's a different feel. And I have gone to the intensive care to see young people and even adults who've shot themselves in the head or jumped off a bridge trying to kill themselves but survived. But I've also seen cancer survivors after surgery. They thought they were going to die and lived. But if you interview them, and I do the interview, because of psychiatry I would interview them but also for my own learning and expansion of the paranormal and um, what I've noticed is people who are near death because of an illness they see the light they always talk about the light seeing the dead relatives and not fearing death anymore because it was such a beautiful experience for them but the suicides that's the thing that was so eye-opening for me was some of them would experience it as very scary uh, fires snakes screams and not a peaceful way so when they come back they're the ones who say I'm glad to be given second chance to do this but I have yet to see an experience that's negative of somebody who almost dies naturally so that makes me think that you know we have to prepare for it, you know. We we have to live in the present, but when we're going, we have to to let people know, because you're just saying goodbye in this realm. You're just gonna see each other in that in that next realm.
0: While in medical school, Nita studied the Ibaloi and Igorot tribes in the province of Benguet.
1: So we had to hike seventy two hours sometimes to see people, patients. Yes, and um, these people are the happiest people I would. I can imagine they're very simple. They don't wear clothes; they just have the G string and they have tattoos everywhere, and they eat only healthy things. But they're happy, and they really, they really, really are in tune with their dead. They don't bury them; they smoke them. This ancient practice of
0: mummification required the person to drink a very salty beverage before they were about to die. After they had passed, the corpse was washed. And placed in a seated position over a fire where the body would then dry up and shrink. These particular tribes that Nita visited would then store these
1: mummies in jars, which were then
0: placed underneath their beds.
1: And they they actually asked them for guidance and they're able to communicate with them. Which makes this people they're able to preserve their culture, they're happier, they're self-sufficient. And we've lost touch of that in, in our modern world. Recently, I, I saw in the pictures, this was 38 years ago that I was there. And now they wear clothes. They had this big earthquake and some of them, uh, in the, a landslide, and some of them died. But they don't look the same anymore because the Western culture has penetrated them. So it's kind of, it's, it's a shame.
0: I'm always fascinated by the ways different cultures interact with their dead. My family is Catholic, and so bodies are embalmed for the viewing. I believe this is done partly so that our last image of the deceased is a pleasant one, almost as if they're not gone, but merely sleeping. And then we never see the body again, as it is then placed in the ground or in a wall. It's such a stark contrast to the Ebaloi tribe, who keep the mummified corpses nearby, in plain sight. In our modern world, we're obsessed with hiding death, with preserving youth, and ignoring the old, because we're afraid. And as someone who suffers from health anxiety, I am no stranger to that fear. But viewing death as a transition, as opposed to an ending, has been incredibly valuable to me.
1: It makes me not scared. We're not scared. If somebody does you know how people stay together in one room. They huddle. They're afraid. We don't. In fact, when my father died, we were able to talk about what he wanted to wear, where you know who he wanted there, how, what kind of food would be served. <laughs> Everything like that is discussed. I think generationally, if you have that gift, we need to be able to cultivate it more, to listen more, to meditate. In the Theosophical Society, that's one of the things they taught us. And now, being a yoga therapist, I know that it's simply meditation. It's staying in the quiet, listening to your breath. As you lengthen your exhale, you become more relaxed. So you enter an almost semi-hypnotic state. Same thing as you do with yoga nidra. And when you enter into that state, you you could actually feel that you're almost floating. You're in a different realm. But you need to know that there is always that core that attaches to you in your belly. And, And so when you feel that you're getting too far away, you just come back. So training yourself to do that. I I meditate every day. I sleep at four in the morning. They say, why are you sleeping at four? Because between two to four in the morning, it's the best time to communicate with and develop that sense where you're meditating, you're listening, your senses are heightened. I go around the house, I walk, I pray, and then I listen to the messages that are you know in my head that are being told to me. My
0: grandpa had been fading away to dementia for the last couple of years. When I would visit, he would not recognize me. But now that he has passed into the spirit realm, I feel like I have the opportunity to rebuild my relationship with him, free from the physical barriers of this realm. Our souls can communicate directly now. I've added his photo to my altar and speak with him every day. Thank you, Grandpa for everything you've done for my family and for everything you've inspired in me. And I hope my work honors your legacy.
1: Okay, so we're done? Yeah. Safar, do you want to eat?
0: Thanks for joining me today. If you like what you heard and would like to support this independently run show, consider becoming a member of my Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash storieswithsapphire to see the different tiers and perks, like live watch parties or private tarot readings. Current patrons, stick around at the end of the episode for your shout-out. If you'd like to submit a story, send me an email at storieswithsapphire at gmail.com. Salamat and good night. Stories with Sapphire is created and produced by me, Sapphire Sandalo. Special thanks to my guest, Nita Gunkaiko. Music written by Sapphire Sandalo. For more information on this episode and my guest, visit storieswithsapphire.com. Thank you so much to everybody who is a member of my Patreon. Deha Alexis Bell, Kristen Hunter, Christine Catone, Sundra Lamb, Brianna, Jeremy Taylor, Stevie Norman, Misha Barner, G. Yang, Elisa Stefaniak, Sherry Pacell, Tu Vang, John Grills, Heather H., Alexis Nicole, Faye Pollock, Andrea Uyunga, Amanda Grandinetti, Randy Hager, Julie Tran, Nina Palumbo, Ariana Stewart, Jerry L., Tara Palladino, Kusea, Connie A., Xavier Martinez, Tiffany Aitken, Victoria Santos, Kiki Vanderwall, Amy Garcia, Ryan Mangini, Dory Dewberry, Tanya Robledo, Deborah Anaya, Gavin, and Rebecca. Thank you all again for your support.